You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, and we're going to be talking about giving up our old passions to live for God's will. But before we take a look at that, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. First of all, if you haven't had the opportunity to do so yet, we'd encourage you to download a free digital copy of my latest 30-day devotional, Desire Jesus, Volume 9. I've been releasing these 30-day devotionals throughout the course of the year. There is going to be a full one-year edition that comes out very soon. But if you'd like Volume 9, which is currently free on our website, just visit DesireJesus.com, and you'll be able to download it there. If you want the paperback edition, that's available on Amazon.com. But the digital edition is available for free download at DesireJesus.com. Our blog has been recently updated as well, so be sure to check that out. And if you're not on our email list, there's a link to sign up to be on that list right at the top right of our website, and you'll just see the newsletter link. And if you go to that link, you'll be able to sign up to receive whatever content we send out. Usually I send out one, sometimes less, emails per week. But if you'd like to be on that email list, just sign up via the newsletter link at the top right of DesireJesus.com. Now, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 6 today, and we're going to be talking about this idea of giving up our old passions to live for God's will. This is certainly something that, as followers of Christ, we're taught in the Scriptures to value, but what does it look like when we do so? How do we go about this? What kind of tools or equipment or abilities has the Lord granted us to be able to actually follow through on this kind of concept? Well, if you would, take your Bibles, open up with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Again, I'm going to read from verse 1 down to verse 6. So it's not a long section, but it's very poignant and it's very applicable. So let me read it for us today. 1 Peter 4, starting with verse 1. This is what it says. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to look at it together today. And Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture today, we pray that you'd help us to understand more about what it looks like to give up our old passions and to start prioritizing your will for our lives. So Lord, thank you for the privilege to be able to spend some time today thinking about that idea. And we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture together, that you'd speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Think back to when you were about 12 years old. What was life like for you then? Was that an easy time of life for you, or would you say that was a season of life that was more on the awkward side? I know for me personally, that was a challenging year of my life. I was in a new school. I was trying to figure out who I was and how I wanted to carry myself when I interacted with others. I was easily impressionable, and many of my personal influences were not very good. The things I valued were, for the most part, unhealthy. Over the next few years, things changed. The context that I lived in didn't change, but the people and the values that I allowed to influence me did. By God's grace, he put people in my life that had the desire to honor him. Some of my greatest influences during the second half of my teen years were people who were just a few years older than me, and they blessed me with a highly visible picture of what it meant to trust in and follow Christ. During that season, I remember drawing a line in my life. I had an extremely strong desire to no longer live according to the faithless, worldly mindset that I had welcomed into my life for far too long. I wanted to move beyond that manner of living and experience what it meant to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, because I became convinced that that's exactly what God wanted for me. When we look at the context of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1-6, to we can see that that's exactly what the Lord desires for all of us. He invites us to draw a line in our lives and to move forward as his family, instead of drifting backward into the mess he rescued us out of. So how can that be done? What does this scripture tell us? Well, one of the first things that we're told in this passage of Scripture is that we need to be people who learn to value the will of God for our lives. Look at what it says in verses 1 and 2. I want to reread those verses for us. It says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Suffering is a theme that is mentioned repeatedly in the book of First Peter. Peter speaks about the suffering Christ experienced, and he also speaks about the suffering those who trust in Jesus must be willing to experience as well. And in these opening verses, he draws our minds back to the suffering Christ experienced during his earthly ministry. And he encourages us to begin adopting the perspective or the manner of thinking that Christ displayed during those experiences. One of the keys to understanding Christ's mission and ministry is to understand his nature. By nature, Jesus is divine. He is God who took on flesh. He never sinned or violated his holy nature. But even though he never sinned, he was treated by the religious leaders and by the government and by individual people of the day as if he had sinned. Yet he was willing to endure that suffering rather than react in a sinful way to the expectations of the people who opposed him. We're invited to do the same thing. If your desire is to follow Christ in the midst of this fallen world, you need to recognize that there will be times when you will be tempted or attacked but you aren't defenseless. We're told in this passage to arm ourselves with something as if we're going off to battle. 
Think about that for just a moment. Again, we're told to arm ourselves with something like we're going off to war, like we're going off to battle. Thanks to the poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, everyone's heard of the Midnight Ride of Paul Revere. But few have heard of a man named Israel Bissell. He was a humble post rider on the Boston-New York route. And after the Battle of Lexington and Concord on April 19, 1775, Bissell was ordered to raise the alarm in New Haven, Connecticut. He reached Worcester, Massachusetts, normally a day's ride, in two hours. And there, according to tradition, his horse promptly dropped dead. Pausing only to get another mount, Bissell pressed on and by April 22nd was in New Haven. But he didn't stop there. He rode on to New York, arriving April 24th, and then stayed in the saddle until he reached Philadelphia the next day. Bissell's 126-hour, 345-mile ride signaled American militia units throughout the Northeast to mobilize for war. And I bring that up because that's what we're being signaled to do when we look at this portion of Scripture today. We're being encouraged to mobilize for war. We're encouraged to arm ourselves with something as if we're going off to battle. And this Scripture encourages us to arm ourselves with the same manner of thinking that Jesus utilized. That's what we're to be arming ourselves with, the same manner of thinking that Jesus utilized. So what is this manner of thinking? Well, the manner of thinking or the attitude that Jesus displayed was the willingness to suffer for doing the right thing. Practically speaking, this feeds our ability to say no to sin and temptation. If we aren't willing to suffer for doing the right things, We'll take whatever the path of least resistance is in any given situation. We'll compromise our integrity so as not to make waves. We'll go along with the crowd so as to avoid criticism. And we'll justify the presence of all kinds of wickedness in our lives because we won't want to suffer the social, relational, or monetary costs that come from taking a firm stand. But God's will for you? is that you don't live the bulk of your life succumbing to the allure of worldly passions. Many Christians spend a lot of time trying to figure out God's will for their life. Usually those questions center around things like who to marry, what job to take, where to live, and whether it's more practical to drive an SUV or a minivan. And I'm not saying there isn't value in those questions, but when it comes to discerning God's will, it's often more fruitful to focus on whether or not you're approaching life with the attitude of Christ. It's often more fruitful to be clear about whether or not you're still spending your life primarily pursuing the passions of the sinful nature. When we learn to value what God values, and when we begin to faithfully live in accordance with the clear teaching of His Word, it's amazing to see just how clear the other decisions we need to make start to become. God's will seems fuzzy when we're consumed with worldly passions. His will becomes much clearer when we're approaching life with the mindset of Christ. Something else this portion of Scripture encourages us to do is to stop wasting your life on foolish things. Look at what it says in verses 3 and 4. It says this, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. 
with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. It amazes me just how quickly time goes by. A year used to seem like a long time to me, and now I feel like a year goes by in less time than it takes me to make coffee. And as I've become more conscious of how quickly time seems to be going by, I find myself becoming more conscious of how I'm choosing to spend the time I have. I'm learning what to say yes to and what to say no to, realizing that Every time I agree to do something or be somewhere, I'm by default saying no to something else. Every evening when I'm driving home, I drive past something that seems sad to me. Now, because I don't know the person involved, I realize that there could be much more to the story than I'm aware of, but near one of the traffic lights on my route home, there's a bench. And without fail, every time I drive past that bench, The same man is sitting on it. He stands out to me because regardless of the weather, he's always wearing sandals and socks. It could be the middle of the winter or the middle of the summer, but he's always wearing sandals with socks. And I see him every single day, no matter what time of day I drive past that bench. But most frequently, I see him in the evenings when I'm coming home from the church. And not long ago, I saw him walk across the street. It surprised me because most of the time he's sitting, but I can't help but think to myself, Is sitting on that bench the primary way you're choosing to spend your life? Now, I guess it's better than sitting in front of a TV forever, but time feels too short to just sit and stare when your body and mind is capable of doing more. Well, Peter was trying to stir up the people of the early church to take action so they didn't waste the time they had been blessed with. Specifically, he encouraged them not to waste their lives on the vain activities those who are without Christ tend to chase after. Peter lists examples of drunkenness, sexual immorality, and the idolatry of giving anything in this world a place of greater prominence in your life than Christ. And he encourages the church not to waste their lives craving or seeking after these things because they aren't God's will for his people. But what happens if you choose to take a different route when everyone around you is pursuing the passions of this world? People take note of your behavior. In fact, it might actually surprise them or possibly offend them. And in response, you might be on the receiving end of some unkind ridicule or critique. How do you feel when that happens? Is that something you're willing to accept? Can you live with being maligned if you choose to walk with Christ when those around you are going in the opposite direction. Can I suggest something that I find supremely helpful in moments like that? I find it quite helpful to take a moment to remember who I really am. My identity and your identity is not tied to the critical opinions of others, because in Christ we find security. No matter what anyone else says about me, I know I can be secure in that relationship. Through faith in Christ, I will always be a child of God. The world may criticize me, but he calls me blessed. The world may malign me, but he says I'm righteous. The world may slander me, but he says I'm forgiven. If our greatest sense of hope is in the world, 
then we'll find the hurtful critiques of this world devastating. But if our true hope is in Christ, we'll be able to see through those critiques and beyond slander as we glimpse the kind of future He holds in store for those who trust in Him. One other thing that this portion of Scripture tells us is that we ought to live as people who don't have to fear the day when we stand before God. Live as someone who doesn't have to fear the day when you stand before God. Look at what it says in verses 5 and 6 of 1 Peter 4. It says this, But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. When I was the director of a Christian summer camp, I used to sit down with my staff members twice each summer to give them an evaluation. The new staff, they used to dread those meetings because they worried about what those meetings were going to be like, and my guess is that they thought that they were going to be either severely criticized or possibly reprimanded for small mistakes, and those what-if scenarios kept torturing their minds. The truth is, most evaluations went fine. Some didn't, but most did. Accountability is a good thing. We make better decisions when we know we're going to have to be transparent and accountable for what we decide. And the truth is that there will be a day when we will stand before God and we will give an account for our lives. We'll give an account for what we've done with the time, relationships, and resources He has blessed us with. All our secret sins will be laid bare. All of those things will be brought out into the open. Nothing is hidden from God. And we can approach that day in one of two ways. We can pretend like that day isn't going to come or or that it isn't real. Or we can get a lawyer. Now, I say that purposely because that's, in fact, what Scripture encourages us to do. It encourages us to get a lawyer. Look at what it says in 1 John 2, verse 1. In that passage, we read this. My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our lawyer. Jesus speaks on our behalf. We have sinned, but he has paid the penalty for the sin we've committed. Jesus came to this earth not to condemn us, but to redeem us. He came here to pay for our mistakes. He offers us forgiveness through faith in Him. And if we accept the payment for sin He has made on our behalf, we will be shown grace and mercy, not condemnation, when we stand before God to be judged. Peter says that this is the message that was preached to Christians who had died prior to the writing of this letter. It's also the message that we're being told as we read these words. Through Jesus, we can live as people who don't need to fear the coming day when we stand before him. The Lord challenges us to give up the old passions that used to govern our minds and to begin to value his will for our lives. Instead of living for foolishness, we're called to live an accountable life in Christ, empowered by his strength and directed by his spirit. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at it together today. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the encouragement to give up our old passions and to begin living for your will. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done on our behalf. Through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, we know, Lord, that we are rescued, we are redeemed, we are forgiven, we are made new in your sight. And Lord, we know we don't deserve those gifts, but we're grateful that by your grace you grant them just the same. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk with you. We pray, Lord, that the passions that used to govern our hearts and our minds would not be the things that we allow to govern us any longer, because you are our Lord. Help us to give up those old things and to live for your will and to put you first in all areas of our lives. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you loved us first, and we pray that we would walk with you faithfully each and every day, empowered by you. We commit this day to your care, and we thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the program, we have Desire Jesus, Volume 9, a 30-day devotional available for free download right now at desirejesus.com. So stop over there and be sure to get a free copy. And while you're over there, if you want to be on our newsletter list, just sign up via the link at the top right of the page. Enter your email, and we'll be sure to send you any of the updates that we send out related to the resources we put out or any of the useful things that we're putting on our website, desirejesus.com. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And we look forward to catching up with you right here next Monday. Take care. Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it, or did you only make it part way? I'm John Stonge, and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible, one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015, and every single day of the week, I read one chapter of Scripture, then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen. You can find it at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.